this is this is a frustrating part for me when yeah. it comes to doctors and and people dealing with people with brain injury. Um, they're going on by what people say. Now, what I learned to do for many many years was in order to try to remember what happened just a second split second before. Yeah. You know, at the beginning of the day, I would start trying to recall and put what happened next, what happened next, and then when I when I the next moment, I'd have to start all over again. What happened beginning of the day? Then connect it, connect it, connect yeah, yeah, it. Yeah. It meant like thousands of repetitions every moment of every day to try to connect the information. Yeah. So that when I, you know, 10 minutes later, I know I existed, that I existed that day, that I did something. This is your host, Dr. Daniel Avasar. I am a brain injury survivor turned neuroscientist. I got into neuroscience to help me make sense of what happened to my mind after my traumatic brain injury. When I was 18 years old, I suffered a severe traumatic brain injury, and it took me about seven years to regain my cognition, my memory, and to get used to the changes that took place in my mind. I hid what I had been through, and I worked very hard at school. I earned a PhD in neuroscience from Dartmouth, followed by a postdoc researcher position at the University of Oregon. I studied the brain at a neurophysiological, cellular, and systems level, which left me with a bottom-up perspective of what had changed in me after my brain injury. But across my recovery, my education, and my research, I never found anything that accurately represents the brain injury survivor's experience. Once I started meeting other brain injury survivors, I realized how important it is to hear about our experiences firsthand. This podcast is devoted to in-depth discussion with other brain injury survivors, focused on our experiences, our problems, and the ways we have found to navigate our lives and our struggles. I hope to connect brain injury survivors through our stories. I hope to help the non-brain injured world learn more about what we are dealing with. And when possible, I hope to connect what is known about the brain with our unique experiences. Welcome to Experiencing My Brain. The views and opinions expressed in the Experiencing My Brain podcast are intended to promote awareness and provide information of what brain injury survivors have to deal with. This information should not be considered as medical or clinical advice. Always seek the advice of a qualified healthcare provider regarding any medical conditions you may have. With brain injury, your mind breaks in ways that people do not understand. These lost injuries and capacities are something we can um, become aware of and learn about how to make sense of them and how to navigate life with them. What Moz explains throughout this recording is a perfect example of that level of, or those levels of what gets injured, how a person can learn, um, build awareness, and gain a perspective on them 
and also about the trauma of how others assume something completely different. Other people don't believe us and our interpretation of what is happening to us. Maz's abilities, her inner navigation skills, her inner abilities to classify, characterize, and act mentally to compensate for those invisible injuries, for those internal problems, those lost capacities and changes to them. So her um, ability to compensate for those while those injuries are invisible to the world around her, it reminds me of my experiences. And of course, her and I have drastically different core problems. And more importantly, we had drastically different support. I had support and external resources, and she did not. I record with a number of people, and the idea of not having support comes up, and they say, I don't know how I would deal with it. Well, Maz is someone who is dealing with that, and we have a lot to learn from her. Maz has become my friend, and I thank her for that, and I'm able to share my experiences and perspective with her, and we give each other feedback, and it's really great. She agreed to record this discussion 40 years after her brain injury. I think that she is accurate about the details of her brain injury problems, and she is accurate about how or the ways that people judge her, misunderstand her, and have mistreated her. Mistreated her. We need to listen to Maz and other people like her to even begin to have the right discussion about how to support and how to not harm a person with a brain injury. We need to listen to Maz and other people like her to find the right ways to help people with brain injury, and that means finding the right help. This is episode 21 of Experiencing My Brain. And we're live talking to Maz. So we got in the car and we were talking about our brain injuries. Oh, we always do. But yeah. we were talking like immediately about... People have misunderstood me um, and my... Uh, abilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can portray myself as being very able and capable, and I am. But with the brain injury, um, what it takes to do what I've done to hide it has been horrible and difficult. Um, so I was 19 years old. I was on my way back to Penn State University, where I just enrolled in chemical engineering, um, and a car hit me head on. Okay. And I have no memory of of nearly everything about that day. The only thing that I am remind when folks have reminded me of certain points where they had some kind of interaction, mm-hmm. then I've rec- I've worked really hard for years to try to recall. Um, so in the emergency room, I, I was asked, you know, my family's address, phone number, all these details. Um, my mouth was moving, mm-hmm. saying, and I kind of thought I was saying the right thing, mm-hmm. but I had no comprehension of what was coming out of my ho- mouth. Wow. I had, and I was feeling really good about this next question. They asked me, what did I w- want to tell my parents? And I had this flash of a soap opera. Now I didn't like soap operas, but uh-huh. a lot of folks in my dorm and my mom used to watch them all the time, but I had this flash of a soap opera that said, just tell them I'm being held over for observation. 
And I felt so good that I came up with something that I didn't understand, but I thought I got away with it, that nobody knows what I can't do right now. So it, when you I had said no that, idea yeah. what it was like, I was just allowing whatever was coming out of my mouth to come out of my mouth, even though I had no comprehension of it, uh -huh. um, of what it, those things that were coming out. But I had this inkling that maybe I was correct. Okay. Um, and so I was reminded of what I said because my dad called the hospital and um, I was in the ICU and he goes, you, you know, you don't hold somebody in the ICU for observation, overnight observation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So um, they actually told him what I said. So that was, that was pretty surprising. Um, then I had a, um, I remember um, a guy telling me about the accident and first thing I asked was, was it my fault? Uh -huh. And he said no. And I probably asked that question like, eight times okay. or more. Um, and the way reason I say eight times or more, because I was prob I was, he would repeat what happened. Mm -hmm. And then I would ask that same question. He would repeat what happened. I asked the same question. And the look on his face was so severe of shock and horror. And I looked at him, I'm like, did I ask that already? Mm -hmm. So I don't know how many times I asked it, but it was, it was, like gone instantly, gone mm. instantly, gone instantly. And my memory to this day is still like that, where it's gone instantly, gone instantly, oh, wow. gone instantly. Oh. Um, I've, I have, you know, strategies and some medication that's helped me with that. Mm -hmm. um, but getting back to the accident and the shortly after the accident of me realizing something's going on here. Yeah. Um, I then had a boyfriend that I grew up with. Um, since junior high, mm -hmm. he had a girlfriend always then, but the first year of my college, he, we got together mm -hmm. and we were boyfriend, girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And I, in high school, I used to call him my buddy. And when we got together in college, we were pretty madly in love with each other. That's great. <laughs> great. He yeah. called and he's crying. And I, I thought to myself, this is probably somebody I should know. I mean, I had yeah. no idea who it was. Wow. Um, and then my roommate called, who was in that car accident with me, and she fractured her skull. Uh -huh. So she was life flighted to um, Pittsburgh. And um, she called, and she asked if I knew who this was. I said, yeah, you're dead. And she said, no, I can't be talking to you if I'm dead. Uh -huh. And I was comfort. I wanted to comfort her and said, no, it's okay. It's okay if you're dead. You know, so I w the reason why I said you're dead is because yeah. the w day before, people from my dorm came and brought me, you know, Nittany Lion because I was at Penn State. And they said that they heard it over the radio of this accident. And they said that the radio said one person was dead and one person was, wow. you know, critically wow. injured. And so I assumed, well, I'm not dead. So um, now they knew it wasn't the case at the time, but they right, were just telling right. me how they heard about the accident and, and you know, what they, and, um, so. But you took that in and you. I didn't, re I didn't, rem I didn't remember any of these things until no. I was reminded. Okay, so, okay. you know, my roommate, you know, months or years later told me about what I said and then I could recall. So, um, you know, th so there's fragments of information there. Um, I was taken home 
to the hospital. I, you know, all I knew was in my mind was that I'm in a hospital. Hospitals are bad. I need to get out of here. Mm -hmm. So the first chance I could, I signed myself out mm -hmm. and I went with my family home. Um, they were supposed to transfer me to a rehab hospital and they didn't. Right. Um, parents were, my father was a doctor, psychiatrist. My mother was a nurse. Uh, originally, um, she had been practicing for many years, but they always thought that they did better at home with us than bring us to a hospital. Right, right. Now, I, I know that it's, there's something else there that I didn't have insurance. And so that's really the main reason why they didn't do it. Um, <laughs> wow. so, um, so I was left at home and the boyfriend, um, kind of got me out of there uh -huh. and, um, then I was back at school. And I had no idea what anything was. How long from when you got home to when you went back to school? Um, so I was a majorette and the Fiesta Bowl in Arizona was happening January 1st. And he, my boyfriend was the drum major and he um, threatened the school that if I wasn't on that flight, he wasn't going to perform. And it was kind of like a myth that whenever he did his flip and split, we won. So we had a um, <laughs> we had a, a, a season, a undefeated season, and he. Um, so they got me on that flight. So I went to Arizona, at New Year's. I'm walking around not having any idea what anything was. Ended up spending the money they gave me for food uh -huh. on a cowboy hat. So I didn't have any money for food then. Wow. And the only reason I, you know, because I ended up in this store, and you know. I, I just did what I thought I was supposed to be doing. And right, right, right. so I'm just kind of really like a very small child at now. And um, so the, when yeah. I got back to school, uh -huh. um, I remember going into the big restroom yeah. and having no idea what I was supposed to do. So I went into the toilet with the door closed and I would peek through the cracks to see what people were doing. Wow. I had no idea how to turn on a faucet. I had no idea how to do just about anything. Right. I had a fractured collarbone. So I got away with, um, when I was in Arizona, with people kind of turning things on and me kind of, you know, just following along with them. Right. Now, for years then, afterwards, I only could do things by copying somebody okay, okay. i had no information of what to do in right. any sense um but you had a sense that there was something that you had to do like you know peeking to see what other people are doing so just you had this i i'm trying to figure this out kind of feeling or is that is that not the right way to say it well okay so when i was in high school my senior year i um had an infection I ended up losing a lot of weight and, um, again, parents didn't bring me to the hospital and I was out of school for two months, okay. two and a half months. And it was over the Christmas holiday and I didn't get back to school till about March and I, um, wasn't able to read, I found. So I had to relearn and it took me about, I figured it took me about a year to get back to kind of a pretty good state, um, of reading, uh, of reading and just, you know, being who I was. Okay, okay. Um, and then I'm enrolled in college, you know, so, and that was my freshman year. And then, so now my sophomore year, 
I knew that there was something that had happened and going wrong, but I gave myself, I thought, I remembered that time where I couldn't do things either after having this illness. And I thought, this is worse than that. Right. I'll give myself a year and I'll work harder than anything and I'll get myself back. Yeah. yeah. Because I did the first time, I thought I can do it. And so one of the reasons I needed to get out of that home was because there was no examples for me to draw on, yeah, yeah. to learn. Um, I pretty much raised myself, it turns out, and, it, and I was the one that kind of raised my younger brothers and sisters. So there was, you know, I was really there on a couch with no food, no water, no, you know, anything to provide for me. And there was something with my brothers and sisters that they really just didn't pay attention or you know, well, you were the matter. caregiver yeah. for them, so then they were, when yeah. that role switched, they couldn't do it. They, yeah. yeah. The only reason I did that role was because if I didn't, I was afraid for them. Right. right so, right. Um, you know, I checked myself many times through yeah. the high school that whether I really needed to be playing this role. Right. Because right, um, right. I just wanted to be a sister and get on with my life. But every time I kind of pulled back, then they were endangered. So that's a whole nother story. That's yeah, not what we're talking yeah. about today. It says just... the stage for where you were at, because you were double duty is a hard thing to do. And with a brain injury, it's like we're in this, um, I can't explain it, but it's like, it's like a realm outside. We're, we're doing other stuff in addition to the normal reality. The problems you had before that set up for your brain injury, problem solving and figuring of shit out. <laughs> yeah. To say it in a way. Um, yeah. I retained deductive reasoning. Okay. And that has saved me over the years. You became aware of that then, that you have deductive reasoning yes. is clearly still there. Yeah, now, yeah. it's not clearly there oh, because okay. I can't hold information long enough right. to process it. Right, right, right. So my, my memory's gone instantly, instantly, instantly. Mm -hmm. So even though I have deductive reasoning to get the information that I need to sort out, that isn't retained. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm at school and I really need, you know, I was in bad shape. I, you know, I didn't have words. I couldn't read or write. I am in this chemical engineering program and, <laughs> um, and I didn't even know how to turn on a faucet to wash my hands. Right. So, um, then there's the walking. The dorms I was in, you know, there was cafeterias, many cafeterias, actually. Mm -hmm. Penn State's quite a big school. And they were all connected through these tunnels. And it would take me forever to get up and then figure out first, you know, I, I would just walk and copy people walking yeah. and walking to it. But almost always, I never got up in time and never got to the um, cafeteria on time or just when they were closing, when it took me all morning, all day right. to try to just do that task. Um, and walking was really difficult. I, I I kept blaming everything on my memory because of that first incident with that guy and I repeated myself. Mm -hmm. My memory wasn't there and plus I didn't know these people talking to me and calling me on the phone when I was in the hospital. Right. And so I thought, well, I'm forgetting how to walk. you know. And when I copied people, it helped. Mm -hmm. So... Um, I, I really struggled. I was there the first term after my accident on my own. My, um, roommate, um, stayed at home for that first term. Um, and it, but it seemed like even though she fractured her skull, she didn't have any problems. It seemed. Yeah. Um, 
there was, you know, a few things she said, like there would be blood coming out of her ears or liquid out of her ears and stuff for a little while, or, um, she would have to pee a lot, that kind of thing. So that, and she said that she was afraid to leave her house. Um, so it was more psychological than, than actually the, the experiences that I was having, physiological yeah, yeah, things. Yeah. Um, so, but I kept saying to myself, well, she fractured her skull. She's the one that should have, be having problems, not me. Right, right, right. Um, when I realized, when I, when I said to myself, after realizing that I had that infection and, and had to recover f some of my um, co cognitive abilities, I said to myself, I'm not going to let this get in the way of my life. Right, right, I promised right. myself that. I'm not going to. So everything I did from there on out was to throw myself in and do whatever it took to get by. Right. Um, and so there I began. Now, in college, there was a lot of people who did things to get me through that I wasn't responsible for. But I guess they did it out because they were felt bad for me. Okay. And in some ways, I wish they didn't because um, I couldn't retain anything. And it only... Like, it didn't show anybody how bad I was off. Right. So right. I didn't get that evaluation of how bad I was. And I didn't get the rehab to structure things. And the other thing I felt is that I didn't want to do anything different from the way I used to do things because the way I used to do things was so good. <laughs> it was I was really smart. I, you know, raised these, these kids from a young age um, to a certain extent. I didn't want them to know I was raising them so they wouldn't be you know, kind of have, I thought, psychological problems if they, right, right, right. they knew, you know, so I kept, you know, I would like do these things where, you know, things were just, you know, coming together for them. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so that was my, you know, so I, you know, and I worked on myself for a long time when growing up, I was, and I think this is important to include and because this is how drastic things have changed. When I was an adolescent, Every night I would go to bed and I yeah. would review my day. And whatever stressors were in my day, I would repeat and, and problem solve to figure out what it was about that that caused stressing hmm. and figured out alternatives of how I could have been in that situation. Then I would rehearse it and play it out. Uh -huh. And so I really created a, a personality for myself that everybody liked and I liked. You know, I was prom queen, I was home queen, you know. People just, wow. they, they voted for me twice to be president and vice president class. And I, I withdrew finally saying, you know, because I found out that to be vice president, you had to organize the reunions. And I knew with my family, I really wasn't going to come home right, right, after right. I got out. So um, <laughs> that's a good impulse. I, so I, I, you know, I was really quite together. And yeah. um, even my sister, who doesn't like me, confirmed, said, you know, I was solid. I could handle any situation. Whoa, yeah, and now yeah. I'm in a situation where I, I you know, I, I conjured this personality and I had responses. I was quick-witted. And now I have no words. Yeah. I can't even tell anybody what's wrong with me because yeah. I have no words. And this was for decades. I was just really getting by. I mean, oh, okay. And observing and trying to figure out what to do. I mean, I was really, really in a very bad state. So that observation, inner self-observation. Yeah, yeah. I, I was able to do that, but, um, you know, the retention was really challenging. I think, uh, so I had this 
not having words to tell. This is this is a frustrating part for me when yeah. it comes to doctors and and people dealing with people with brain injury. Um, they're going on by what people say. Now, what I learned to do for many many years was in order to try to remember what happened just a second split second before. Yeah. You know, at the beginning of the day, I would start trying to recall and put what happened next, what happened next, and then when I when I the next moment, I'd have to start all over again. What happened beginning of the day? Then connect it, connect it, connect it. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it meant like thousands of repetitions every moment of every day to try to connect the information. Yeah. So that when I, you know, 10 minutes later, I know I existed, that I existed that day, that I did something. And when the doctors, you know, if they would have just asked me how I was, I would say I'm okay. When I'm not okay, but no. I don't have that memory to to articulate and I don't have the words to articulate. Mm -hmm. So here, here you are in a situation where you can tell somebody you're okay and you're not, but you don't. But I didn't have. And I, I spent. It was, it was recently. It was um, when I moved to Seattle for graduate school, and you know, I went to a, a therapist to try to get assistance to try to problem solve these problems that yeah, yeah, yeah. persisted. Yeah. Um, and. I knew I had to do that. You know, the memory of capturing, repeat, capturing, repeat, capturing, repeat, capturing, repeat, and go from the beginning of the day and connect it together. Begin it constantly. Every time I tried to remember something, I just started beginning of the day. What was the next thing? What was the next thing? So I got to present moment. Uh -huh. So it was so consuming um, so that I would have information and words and try to figure out what words I can say to try to communicate to them what it is I'm here for and asking for. Yeah, yeah. Um, because... You know, I made it to graduate school, um, doing a hell of a lot of work, which maybe we'll talk about another time. <laughs> but I knew I was on the precipice of accomplishing something. Um, I wanted to do research with nutrition and brain injury, and I knew I couldn't succeed if I couldn't finally solve these challenges that never changed from the time of my accident. Those challenges that present themselves, I look at them as like these brain injury centric problems that present and then now I have to deal with them now I have to manage them now they are with me always and they're they're constantly there they like um this this yeah. picturing or um, I didn't have that issue but I had other moment to moment issues and then you create like this um I can ask it as a question you create that world in your head where you're capturing it repeating it to get to the point where you're at that becomes like a running dialogue in your head that doesn't exist. I have to manually do it. I can't. It doesn't all happen happen automatically. No, no. You yeah. Of course you have to manually because and it's very hard to do. And yeah. then it becomes a thing that now is in your head that you have to do. I with have all the to time. do. Yeah. I have to do. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. I get to the end of the day. Like there were times where I could just I, I could. It was like you know eight o'clock, ten o'clock in the morning, and next thing I knew it was six six o'clock in the evening. And I didn't move from that place because I didn't have inform any information in my brain. Right. So it was really scary. Yeah. Um, and the one thing I think and we've gotten into recent discussion about this is that these things do persist. They don't go away. Yeah. And so I have a trouble with the word recovery because even though I made it through grad school doing very things that nobody would ever do because it was so hard. Um, and it took so much out of my body and my brain, but they didn't change from the time after the accident. Right. And so to say recovery 
even though I can accomplish, even though I can get my brain to concentrate on a single kind of area mm-hmm. to accomplish something, it kind of removes everything else from me, my abilities. Right. And so nobody can see the toll it takes on me unless they lived with me. When they lived with me, they saw how absolutely incapable I was. I mean, I was, I was working a full-time job and I didn't know how to brush my teeth at the end of the day. Right. I literally had to, you know, copy somebody on, you know, my boyfriend who I was living with. Um, and he would move his hand up and down. So I, you know, copy it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there's a, there's a lot there. There's a lot to talk about as far as symptoms and challenges. And the other thing is, you know, then with the fatigue, it really takes a toll on the body where, um, it felt like gravity was like 3,000 times heavier. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that every cell in my body had arthritis. Um, as the day went on, it went, it came worse until I couldn't, you know, even get out of the chair and walk. Um, so the fatigue was really debilitating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah so um, where are we now? <laughs> well, well, okay. So. so- I'm gathering, I'm listening, and I'm also coming up with questions, but I'm slow on that end. But, okay, so here, here's like an example of one level that I think we could try to discuss because it's okay. important. Your explanation of your experiences reminds me of my explanation, the way I try to explain to other people my experiences in the sense that I say like certain things inside of me just did not work, and then other things were very slow or not working because it was hard and it was dependent. It was so the two that you said, one is the getting information, or I can't, I can't remember how you said it, but the information not being inside of there was no information. Right. So let's talk about that. To. So yeah. So what is that? How does that like? Can you, can I like you give an example of that? Yeah. 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 I, I like talking about this because yeah. um, here's one of the things also when you know going to anybody in the psychological psychiatric field, um, if there was anything that I told them at all. You know, the, the whole idea of, oh, you know, you're just depressed or you're, you, you need to yeah. relax or, you know, you're just having anxiety. You just yeah. need to relax yeah. and meditate. So people like, oh, meditate. Meditation is supposed to clear everything from your brain, from your mind, right? So that you're just at peace. Well, I was already in that state. I mean, there was sure, no information sure. in my brain. It was the whole idea was to try to get and stimulate that brain, get it moving that more. You know, I would be you know, this is like four years after, you know, after my accident, I was living in a house full of girls and I was right by the bathroom uh-huh. and it took me hearing somebody in the bathroom and making them making noises for me to try to figure out what I was supposed to do. I mean, I'd have no information about getting dressed, going to the bathroom, doing anything. Right. And this is, you know, now four years after my accident and I'm um, still in that really bad state. Yeah, yeah. And, um, I tried going to, you know, uh, doctors and therapists at, at, at the school. Um, the first one I went to, I didn't tell her about my accident. And by the end of it, she said that she, you know, she was scared of me. And that, and then I told her, well, I had this accident. She goes, oh, no, it has nothing to do with that. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I blew that, you know, situation. Yeah, yeah. And then the next, another time there was a guy that, did test on me. Um, oh, when I had the first testing done on me, they do these, they have these pictures of this guy fishing 
and he's like walking along the dock and then, you know, puts a, you know, worm on the hook and then throws it. So there's still life. There's still pic cartoon pictures. Yeah. You're supposed to put it in an order. Uh -huh. I couldn't do it. I couldn't hold the information right, right. from looking at one um, picture to the next to figure out, you know, yeah, I yeah, couldn't hold yeah, the memory yeah. enough when I looked at one picture, then my eyes just moving just a fraction of an inch to see the next picture to know what was what I just saw instantly before. Right. And um, when I mentioned about people did things to get me through school, um, there were these fraternities um, that had exams, mm -hmm. um, previous exams for past years. Um, being in chemical engineering, everything was open book. Mm. <laughs> you just got that. They gave me exams <laughs> wow. and they had the same questions. I couldn't copy, even though I saw that there was, you know, that was the same question. Yeah. I couldn't look at the answer on the, the exam that was, you know, right. with the answer to copy it onto my paper because it, it's, as soon as I instantly looked from just a fraction of an inch from one to, I wish I had tracing paper because that right. was a, practically the only way I could do it. And I, you know, I kept trying to inch it closer. So that's how I got through school. And I told myself, now I'm not a liar and cheater, but I told myself the only way I'm going to get this degree is if I can recover. If I don't, I'm dropping out. And that's yeah, what I did. Yeah. The And every, all the professors were mad at me because I dropped out, but I knew I had to because what I had accomplished was all a lie because right, I couldn't remember right. any of it. So let's go back to the tracing paper and that example because that's something that I try to explain to people. The act of putting two things side by side and, tra and writing what you see on this side onto that side, that part didn't work. The memory was gone instantly. So right. me even moving a fraction of, you know, of my eye from left to slightly not left to look at the one piece of paper and the other. Yeah. Um, my memory would be gone instantly. Right. So I could. So you have to hold the information in your brain long enough. Yes. To write it down. Yes. If it's if it's gone instantly, there's no information to write down. Right. It, and then I have to look at it again and still could, you know, so it was really, really difficult to do that. Now I did find also that every time I went to sleep, my memory would be gone. I'd have to start all over again. Wow. So one time, um, and I was a majorette, I throw up my, you know, I would throw up my baton and I would forget that my baton's up in the air uh -huh. and I, I, you know, I'd spin around and then I would, something would be coming down at me flashing and I would just, like instantly grab it. Yeah. Um, those reflexes were there, and I and I realized, oh my gosh, I had no idea. <laughs> you know, so I'm like operating almost autopilot, and yeah, I know one yeah. of your one of the people that you talked to a while ago. Yeah. Um, she said something about autopilot. Yes, yes. And one of the things I I was going to say earlier when I was talking about um, how I grew up and how I um, created this personality and everything was that, um, oh, now I forgot it again. It's okay, because if you listen, I'll send you this, and if you listen to it, then it might hit you, and then you can write it down. But if you get, if it comes into your mind, great. And if not, it's okay. Okay, let's, let's move on. I can, I so okay, so, so here's a question that I have trouble explaining this, and I'm. it's almost like a playing a devil's advocate question, but I have dealt with, I didn't have the autopilot that that other person had, but I've had. Oh, some... that's it. That's it. That's the key word. Okay. So, yeah. so um, 
so one of the things that I feel fortunate about why I've been able to hide it and get by for so long yeah. um, was that because I had trained myself so well in so many different situations and I was a good person. So, so everything I did was, you know, kind of in, in that realm, um, having that autopilot, mm-hmm. having all those experiences of, you know, starting to work when I was 12 and all, I had a lot of resources to draw on. Mm even though I wasn't in control of it. Okay, okay. So so this is this is one of the most heart-wrenching things for me personally. Yeah. Is that relying on the autopilot it was like things were out of control because I wasn't managing it. Now I yeah, grew up yeah. managing myself in such a meticulous way, you know, every day, you know, reviewing my day, figuring out, you know, so that, you know, I didn't want to have any stress in my life, so I always wanted to figure out how to resolve it so that it wouldn't happen the next time yeah, yeah, yeah. I was in that situation. And so so having all that and not being able to pull on anything because I couldn't hold the information long enough. Right. So I couldn't review my day, even though there was no information for me to, to review because it was all gone instantly. <laughs> I was, you know, so there's, you know, there's all these, but, but I would be in situations where it was almost felt like life or death every day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And having to rely on this autopilot and, you know, it was like that first time when I said, oh, just tell them I'm, you know, uh, being held overnight for observations. It's almost like a relief of, okay, I got away with it this time. I got away yeah, with yeah, it this time. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, I'm needing help, but nobody's seeing it in, in many cases because they only see me for a few minutes at a time. Mm-hmm. And so they see me operating in some ways on this autopilot and aren't clued into what's really going on. Absolutely. And I, and I don't yeah. have the words to tell them. Right. Um, so. Right. So, so, you know, there's like, like, um, now that I'm talking about the brain injury stuff, a lot of people from my past are like, how come you didn't tell us? What are you like? What are you, what were you hiding? What, what, like what they're trying to make sense of it. And I'm like, well, one issue is that it's really, really hard to explain. And then the other issues that I'm going through all these, internal problems that they see you in the day you walk or are present in the ways that they i guess like before it was the brain injury so they really have no idea to think that there's anything wrong and then and then you just they live. just assume that you're the same and you just live like that and yeah. and, and um i think that I the people re- living with me could yeah. tell okay because um 1986 i think I, I moved to san francisco yeah and got diagnosed for for certain for me um where it became clear I, I used to say it's hard to know your brain injured when your brain's injured mm-hmm. yeah yeah <laughs> um now even though i knew there was something wrong and i was struggling with all these things i kept thinking this has got to be psychological if it's psychological uh, i can fix it yeah. it was a denial that i needed to use because i needed to fix this and so wow. um my dad was a psychiatrist he taught me everything you know i felt i that he knew and i had fixed myself you know growing up and um, so if it was brain injury, then that's permanent and that's too life threatening to, because, you know, I was on my own Yeah. and so, and there was so much I couldn't do that, you know, I, so I kept approaching it, you know, thinking it's gotta be psychological. I've got to, you know, recover from this. And I kept pushing myself and kept pushing, kept throwing myself out there to try and that was dangerous because I would get lost. I would lose my ability to walk. I yeah, would, you know, yeah. fatigue and everything. Um, 
but getting back to being diagnosed, there was a, a social worker who started a group for people with brain injury, mm-hmm. and and she's told me that there were other people like me. Mm-hmm. I had not met anybody like me. Yeah, yeah. And even still, even when I did meet other people with brain injury, mostly they were they were strokes or people who like fell out a window or or got mugged or something. And those brain injuries are very different from somebody who has had a car crash. What they call diffuse axonal injury, which I don't know whether that's actually an accurate word to term what I figure, what I understand of my brain, um, what it actually is. But, but it puts us in a category. Um, the closest that I've heard from their symptoms are people who um, had uh, like blast injuries from wars. Sure. So they're the most similar. But people who had injuries from like the acceleration, deceleration from a car accident being like hit um, in that way uh, were similar, but other brain injuries are not. And that's that was for me an awareness that came along really not easily because I, because I didn't get the rehab because I didn't get the, you know, somebody tracking how badly I was. Yeah. yeah. Um, doctors didn't really always accept that I had a brain injury and because I was pushing myself that it was psychological, I didn't want them to recognize it either. I needed that denial. So them denying that I had a brain injury kept me psychologically safe. Okay. But okay. but uh, realistically unsafe because I needed their help. But so I was in this, you know, quandary of not being able to, you know, whenever I try to tell them. So then I would be really scared, you know, because here and now I blew it again. You yeah, know, I didn't, yeah, yeah. Um, so of getting help. And I, I knew I thought there was help out there. And I realize now there isn't. <laughs> yeah, I can't because people because they because yeah. doctors really, even this expert who did diagnose me, um, you know, so I had this plan. You know, I didn't have the personality I needed. You know, just so I was going to structure this 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 rehab through him. Mm-hmm. He was the expert at the time in San Francisco. Um, he was well liked, and you know, so I thought all I have to do is since I can copy people, all I have to do is rehearse some things with him and try to get answers and rehearse that over and over and over again. Right. So I'm um, in situations. So I'll have at least words for certain situations. Uh-huh. I was in my twenties. I was young, you know, young people have expectations of, you know, wanting to be entertained and interested and, you know, so that you have to have a way of responding in order to make connections. And I didn't. And so when I proposed this to him with the words that I could use, he said, no, I, I can't tell you how to be. You have to figure that out on your own. Now, mm, here was the expert, mm. and he didn't get that yeah. I found, I thought that there was a way that I could learn. Um, I didn't know that my brain could learn at that point, you know. Um, and this was, what, five years after my accident. Um, but I was willing to work hard as anything to try. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, Literally the moment-to-moment shit that, isn't yeah. isn't working this, and how you deal with it and and i was dealing yeah. with it now five years yeah. so so you know but i was so needing that part of me to be you know recovered mm-hmm. um it never has but i have improved in ways um because of medication basically okay, um okay. and we'll talk about that when i'm ready to talk about that yeah yeah um so i i have a list of my problems and 
going back over what we've talked about, can make a list for your stuff with the the walking, the memory, the moment-to-moment information of being there. It, it, it then, there's one list there that then puts you into fight and flight and fear and all these other, which I would say are more like psychological problems, but they're psychological with the core of the brain injury problems being what they get induced from and come from. This is what yeah. I've learned about myself. Yeah. Um, the fight or flight uh, and the, the fear mm-hmm. only comes with the fatigue. Okay. And it comes because with the fatigue, yes. the muscles are getting tighter. They're not, they're, there's a tonic yeah, response yeah, that's really yeah, tight yeah. and it affects the diaphragm. So I'm not able to breathe well. Okay. I get stuck breathing in. This was before the medication. So I get stuck breathing in. I'm not, I'm getting, you know, losing my ability to interact with the environment. Uh-huh. You were talking uh-huh. about taking information in from the environment with fatigue. You know, there's less and less ability to take in any information from the environment. But that's not to say that that problem is a issue that exists and then the fatigue transforms it and it makes it... Um, the, it, the it fatigue, makes it worse over the, it. the, the fatigue. Um, the abilities get worse and worse with the fatigue. Yes. Yeah. Um, so the fight or flight, the, the fear and anxiety and things like that didn't come first. Right. The it's you know when the breathing starts to get more difficult, like the brain starts to get anxious because it can't get. Needs oxygen, yeah, you know. Yeah. So, so for me, you know, I've observed myself for now forty years, and it was probably you know within the first ten that I realized that, um, what comes first, and that's important mm-hmm. because doctors and psychiatrists and everything, they're psychologists, they always you know are blaming my symptoms on psychological aspects. Right. I'm and, not. I'm not saying. And that. I was. I was in favor yeah. of that. Yeah. Because I was trying to, even though I knew mm-hmm. that wasn't the case, I just needed to protect myself psychologically because the state I was in and the low abilities that I had and mm-hmm. capabilities were so severe that I should have been in a nursing home for many reasons. Yeah. Um, that was the only option at the time. You know, now we have more options of living, you know independently or quasi independently and having rehabilitation uh, and, and yeah right? but but um so for me this this fear flight or flight and and the ptsd was because every day i would get to a point where i couldn't walk i couldn't right. move right. i couldn't take inter- interactions from the from the environment i would even start to my vision start to even get more um narrowed Mm-hmm. Uh, like blackened around the edges, and and so it, you know, I'm observing these things, and every day I would I would say to myself to leave the home. It's not going to happen today. I'll figure it out. And each time, you know, when I finally made it back home, um, it, it you know it wasn't the case. And so, um, it's it's that fight or flight came with the breathing problem. I I'm certain of that. Um, that the fear and and all that comes from the physiological problems and when i was talking about you know feeling like gravity is like three thousand times stronger and and um every cell feeling like arthritis then there's this brain i wouldn't say crushing but i would describe my headaches 
They're not headaches. It's a brain pain that feels like my brain is dehydrated being stretched over stalactites. Okay. So that kind of being almost ripped and teared yeah. um, sensation, that, that would be, you know, with the fatigue. And so, you know, the feeling like arthritis, you know, all this, it's really painful. And here I'm trying to walk. And my, my you know, because it was a major, I'd pick up my foot like the march, and then my, my um, foot would slam down to the, to the ground. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, I know people who have been diagnosed, you know, they were in the hospital, they had rehab and everything. They, they had a certain term that they called their, the way they walk or whatever. Um, I called it my dance. <laughs> hmm. um, and I could start out the day moving normal, but it, as they went on, it would get bad. And the problem I had with meeting people with other brain injuries, they would have the problems the whole day. They, would, they, right. they, would, they wouldn't like start off you know, and have a few hours that were... So for me, I knew there was something I could do that could find, try to maxim, you know, maximize and extend those few moments of you know, the day that worked better yeah, yeah, or worked yeah, at least yeah. sufficiently enough to survive. Um, and so that, that was my quest. And you know, um, I got to a point where I, I really feel like I can somewhat biochemically understand. Um, and that gives me hope for others too, because I have seen you know, benefits from what I've done and the understanding of it. It's not just, you know, these days, you know, psychiatrists, you know, these doctors, they give out pills without understanding how the medication works. Right. And right, so right. it doesn't work on everybody because, you know, they don't, because they don't, they're not really pres- diagnosing things of how things work. They're diagnosing things on checklists. A symptoms the, checklist. Che- a symptoms checklist enough, yeah. that could be across the board a lot of different ways. And they also have a strategy where if this medication doesn't work, we'll begin a list and trial and error. Yeah, and, 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 and I tell you, yeah. uh, every psychiatric medication, I tried finally to, to try to prove to them that they don't work for this symptomology, um, that my problems aren't psychiatric. Um, but what they did was, oh, you need to take more time with it. I mean, they didn't believe it. They didn't. Right, they they, right, they right. wouldn't. They wouldn't right. accept that they were wrong. Um, and so it really has been hard. You know, I've really felt like um, I went back to school to try to save my life, to try and and I didn't take the psychiatric medications until just a few years before I got the medication. Now that I'm on that, that does work, okay. and I and I do understand how it works. But every medication that's psychiatric does the opposite of what a brain injured person needs. Um, even, if a, even if a brain injured person has depression and anxiety, those medications are going to further limit the abilities. Um, and it's through those cognitive abilities that I'm able to manage the psychological anxiety, you know. So, so yeah, so, so that's the, the thing that I'm trying to figure out how to talk about because I think that the my term or terms are these core brain injury problems that come from injured brain parts, injured systems. Yeah. And that is Yeah, I beneath, like your concept. Yeah, that is beneath and separate from the psychological problems. And the fatigue is yeah. actually its own thing. That yes. that that actually needs to be really separate the fatigue from 
so it's called core brain injury problems. Then there's the fatigue. And then there's the physiological and the psychological and the ways that I would categorize as stuff that's under the umbrella of how we respond to trauma and stress. And I look at them at least somewhat as the same, but they're consistent with what other people have to deal with, minus the core brain injury problems and the fatigue. The fatigue and the core brain injury problem makes it a completely different situation. Yeah. 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 And so We're not you know, immune to the normal day-to-day stuff and right and you know it's a lot harder um so we're probably quicker to you know fall down fall down yeah Yeah, yeah, that threshold that's it yeah um to have those difficulties um and and here's one more point i wanted to make um is that i and and i think we have some disagreement on this point um i look at okay the doctors say that every brain injury is different to me that is the same as saying every cancer is different. Okay. Now, cancer, they've found certain remedies that they can group together. For me, I've seen, as far as people who have our kind of injury, which I think they now categorize as diffuse axonal, um, even though different areas of our brain may be damaged, mm-hmm. there is a core physiological change that I see is the same. Sure. I, I don't know if physiological, although it is physiological, I don't know if that's the best term to use. And I have it is also... when I start talking okay. to you about it. Okay. Okay. Um, the next time we talk or whenever I'm ready to talk about the medication and, the, and my understanding of, of the biochemistry and stuff, that there is a core physiological change um, that doctors don't hear or see because each of us have our own personalities. We each have things that we miss because we no longer can do. We each have things that we focus on because of what we were really into before. And who we are. And who we and are. Who we well, are. And, what is, and, yeah. how, and right. how we are. Right. How we deal with stress and, and, and various, you know, things. Uh, you know, some people retain most of their personality. You know, I, I didn't because I mine was all about words and being witty and I didn't have any words anymore. So there was no, you know, compensation for that. Um, but, but the problem, the, the thing I see is that doctors, because we have our own language, really, mm-hmm. before our accident of, of what is pertinent to us, after the accident, we're, we have those, that's, that's what we draw to. So when we try to describe what we're dealing with, it's going to sound different. Yes. It's, yes. We're going to be focusing on things that are different. Right. We may have... You know, somebody else may have difficulty with walking. They may not talk about it. They may talk about, you know, their inability to go out and hang out with friends. Right. Meanwhile, they have all these other difficulties, but they're not talking about it because their focus is on something else. And that's what they're going to talk about. So doctors only see a glimpse of us. And so they're, they're, they've put us in this category of everyone's different. So it's so huge and large it's unmanageable to even try to approach i agree a hundred percent and we had that we went to that seminar where that psychologist said exactly that because he's got this imaging you know um research that he he was presenting and afterwards when we talked to him he said well that's the reason why we can't you we can't study people with brain injury because 
da 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 and had to do with, you know, because we're so different and we have so many difficult, in different things, you know, that we can't put people in categories and because to do research, you have to have similar aspects that you hold steady in order to test something else. So, and so, so that, that yeah. upsets me because um, they it's almost like they've turned it against us and, and the reason why we are in, in the situation where there is no help. Yeah, well, okay, so I think that yes and there is that problem. So yes and there's that problem and I have come to the same conclusion where I see like the um, the framing and the sense-making of what broke and changed and got injured in me, although it's not identical to what other people have experienced, yeah. it actually fits a similar framework. And in that respect, I can um, start to put it into the category, not always, but of capacities and of certain things that I, I, I don't use the word physiological because I think more about the neurosystems, yeah. but there is a physiological basis to that. And there is also... Um, the scope with which I can see and make sense of and have the awareness about. And I know that that's the way I was since my brain injury started. And I'm just like observing it, obsessed with trying to categorize it. And that took many, many years to yeah. build um, even a sense to make sense of that. Also, those things being missing in us isn't a thing that there is research about, isn't a thing that there is um, enough awareness that that problem can exist. So then you end up trying to convince people that that exists and if it's not in the literature they're like well that doesn't exist and I'm like but what are you talking about like I, I lost I really really lost the part of me that would make um, problem solving happen and so I rebuilt that one I remember that and I, it was really really weird and the way you're describing the information stuff in you I, I also lost parts of cognition and I'm listening to what you're saying it's like it seems like the cognition is still there but the memory isn't there and there's these other deductive parts of you there there and then other things are missing and you end up like amalgamating it and i um it depends on what aspect of cognition you're talking about sure sure right. and so in that sense you can start to have a list of what aspects of cognition there are and then some get completely injured and some don't work and we can have this discussion because we've had those experiences but other mm -hmm. people are like what are you talking about i i think you know i i love your point about the systems because i think what you're going down the road to try to solve and put into is that that's that's going to be those networks of systems right. that are damaged are going to best help communicate to those without brain injuries to understand how possible yeah, that we yeah, could have, yeah. you know, like we're talking here as if we're, you know, and we are intelligent human beings that probably for most people may not even sense that there's anything um, right, right, pampered with right, us. Right. Um, meanwhile, we're both probably fighting uh, <laughs> our, our challenges right now, yeah, trying to yeah. pay attention to each other. That's hell, it's difficult. Um, and, you know, other people say, well, it's hard for me to pay attention to. It's like, yeah. no, it's not the same. It but broke, it got it, injured, there's, it there's, changed. But yeah. these networks of understand, understanding the networks and how those are damaged, I think that's going to start to help bring professionals um, into the con concepts of where to take it so there could be effective rehab. And, and that, they that's, believe and they and believe that's what us. I, yeah, yeah. And yeah. That, that's what I like about what thank you, you thank what you. you've yeah. studied and worked yeah. hard on and, and continue to work on will, for these interviews of gathering, yeah. you know, the Thanks. facts. Um, and, and also in that sense, 
the brain, the way it's built and the more recent literature showing like, oh, it's really everything involves the whole brain and this and that. And it's not like um, the stuff that you just described and that I just or I try to describe. It's not like those are the only things that were happening. We're trying to like put words to this yeah. really um, unexplainable. The, the first seven years of my brain injury were like so weird and so off on so many levels. Okay, so, I'm, I'm, bringing, yeah. <laughs> I'm bringing up a book. I wasn't going to bring this up yeah. this time or whatever. Or I kind of wanted to end it on this point because right. then the next time we're going to talk about the yeah. physiology, I think. Um, so this, I'm bringing up a book I'm showing to um, Daniel. Uh, it's by John Krakakow. It's called Into Thin Air. I was in undergraduate. I went back to undergraduate um, to study nutrition in San Diego State. Mm -hmm. And I had exercise physiology. And this book had just come out at the time. And my professor read a passage. I've gotten to the passage yet, so I can't um, read it for you. What this book is about is um, misadventures of people who died um, on Mount Everest. Hmm. Um, and passage was describing what it's like to be in the dead zone, where the oxygen is um, limited okay. Or, okay. Or, or not at a pressure point where we could absorb it efficiently enough for our system. And it talked about how that person was thinking and walking. And it sounded like he was describing my, me, what mm. I experienced mm. up until that point. Um, it was like nearly 20 years, I think, at that time. Okay. Um, so uh, that fascinated me yeah. and that gave me a direction to go and that's why I talk about the physiology um, there's so much you know when you talk about people who can't understand I think the only people who understand are people who have been in that dead zone mm. that have experienced what that is um, to understand what it is that we experience every day in at sea level um, <laughs> without the dead zone factors happening yeah. and so, and, that and so that's what, for that's you. What, yeah. for me that's where I come from you you've you're a neuroscientist You've got a PhD, you've got a doctorate. I've got a master's in, in nutritional sciences. Mm -hmm. um, I knew I had the capacity to do more and do research, and I still do. Um, but I have to organize my life well enough so I can do it. Uh, and that's where I, I struggle. So here, we're, you know, we talk intelligently. We've, we've both um, you know, accomplished a lot in our, our life post-injury. Um, but I tell you, I can't take out the trash. Right. You know, these, day, these daily skills are nearly impossible for me on my own without mm -hmm, somebody mm -hmm. copying or watching. You've had a lot of support. I haven't. So I've gotten to points of fatigue where I think a lot of people with brain injury would not get to. Right, right, right. So they, they haven't experienced the severity of what, how it can be. Yeah. Or if they have, they keep themselves from getting to that point ever again. Yeah. I don't have that opportunity because yeah. I'm on my own. So I have to every day push myself. Now, I don't have to push myself as much anymore because of the medication. But I understand that doctors also, when they saw my severe problems, mm -hmm. they put me in a different category. Mm -hmm. And I knew they were putting me in a different, I knew these other people with brain injury just didn't, had the potential of being as bad as I was. Mm -hmm. But they never got there because they had family. Right. Support. To shop for yeah, them, yeah. To, to feed them, to, you know, to... To follow, a lot of people are probably copying their their family members, and they don't even realize it. Because I've had to observe and and try to figure out what is going on to try to solve it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, my memory goes and goes and goes. So how can I do that? Well, when something repeats for 40 years, you recognize it when it happens again. So there's a recognition. There's, there is still something that's holding on to it. I just can't get to that information on my own. Right, I can't right. get to it to, to then work with it. Um, I have more capabilities now um, only because of intervention of nutrition and uh, nutri- nutrient supplements and the medication I'm on. And that may be frustrating to some other people listening to this that want to know what that's all about. But it's, I think this conversation is just too long to go into that. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I really want to brush up on my, um, my science in order to um, speak about it in a, okay, in a okay. sense that um, will maybe let professionals um, uh, start, to, you know, help them to maybe realize there's something that I'm saying that may make sense. And well, I, I, well, just don't wanna, yeah. I just don't want to um, ruin that opportunity to, to, to really make it clear to anybody who's listening. Right. And we can talk about that when you want. And we can also talk about that twice or talk about it three times in yeah. the sense that there's a lot here that's really good. And then there's a lot that I always just try to clean up the discussions and the fact that I'm even talking about that. I want to clean that out. But um, there's these like... Um, we were talking about the way the way you yeah the yeah. way you are describing the things that you got back through the medication and through massive repetition, but still those features of yourself those capacities are they're so they're not gone they're just so slow to work and the gears of it is slow to happen and it, it's like um when I took one medication yeah. I I was seeing a psychologist and he said it's like your your neural connections have sped up. Uh-huh. And I didn't realize that I appeared that slow because I, I always try to compensate where to hide it, you know, right, where right. people can't see. Um, so that is an interesting point about it being slow. For me, I, I learned in going back to college to con- how to concentrate on a, and focus on one area in my brain. Okay. And when I do that in order to learn, and when I do that, I lose other area access to other areas of my brain. So, so what does that feel like? Um, devastating because yeah. um, those areas are really basic functions. Uh, and so I talked about not able to take out the trash. Yeah. Well, you know, I had I had um, to fill out some forms. And so doing that has left my house in array because it's, it takes me, it, you know, it used to take me a month to five years to set up information in my brain to do something. Okay. So, I, you know, I've accomplished a lot, you know, of things that many people can't or don't know how to do. But when I do that, it takes away other information. Like, I know I need to take out trash. I see it. I see the fruit flies. I see it. You know, it is horrible for me. But I can't get to that information to use it because I'm in this other area of my brain to try to get these forms done. And, you know, DSHS forms for food stamps because I make so little on disability, uh, social security disability. And, you know, and it's it's just um, I'm living like a recluse half the time not able to get out of my home because I don't have the information to connect to do whatever it is I, I need to do to get out of, to walk, just walk out the door. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so 
when we talk about brain injury and recovering and people say to me, oh, but you've recovered, they have no idea. Yeah. That, you know, and it's not like I'm not thinking about taking out my crash. I could be thinking about it hours during the day, every day, every day, every day. You know, if I can't get the information, I can't get it. Now, when I do, when it, I work hard to set up the information to do one step and then the next step, the next step. Yeah. I often make mistakes. Okay. Because okay. I don't have all the information there. And that's, that's, that's another aspect of things of how I observe my brain is that. I can't get to all the information, so I think I can do something yeah. because I have maybe the first step. Right. And when I try to do it, the next step isn't there. And so maybe I'll make a mistake. So I like I knit. Okay. okay. And one, reading isn't always there. So um, I have to work on you know the area of my brain to read mm-hmm. and to read where I'm not just pronouncing the words, but they actually have meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, and then hold that, again, the memory to then make that next stitch. What's the next thing in the pattern? Um, so you're like reading the instructions. Yeah, and I make, okay. you know, I make mistakes because yeah. I'll, I'll skip over words or, you know, like before I took this one medication, I would read circular. Like my eyes would go in a circle to try to find words mm. that I recognize. You can't mm. do that with a pattern. Yeah. You have to read in a linear, linear order and then do things exact. Mm-hmm. And so I, I make things and usually it's like, Five to seven times that I've, you know, versions of things that maybe more um, because <laughs> I start over before I finish it. Right. Um, so I've gotten used to having to do things numerous times. Yeah. Yeah. Patient with myself yeah. to repeat and keep trying and keep doing and keep trying. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, redo, rethink, retry, redo is my is my motto now. <laughs> um because that's what every single thing I do, including taking out the trash, is. Wow. Um, you know, my dishes haven't been washed since my birthday. That was September 4th. <laughs> Happy birthday, dishes. Uh, d- yeah. uh, today's yeah. the December 25th, so you guys know. Um, no, <laughs> did I say December? You said December. Oh, uh, September. Yeah. Sorry. So ter- it's been, yeah. it's been Things come days. out of my mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. So it's been 20 days. Um, yeah. I'm somebody who was very meticulous about... Everything in my place has to be in order for me to know where it's at. Uh-huh. And so being living in this home with trash, with dirty sink, um, has been enorm- enormously uh, interfering yeah. with yeah. me doing my best. Yeah. And I like doing my best. I like, you know, in, for me to set up the next thing that I need to do depends on it. Right. Um, so, it, it, you know, and this people kept, you know, when I say I can't do anything, I can't go out with you, I can't go to this event, I can't do that because I need to get my house in order. They're like, we're always getting your house in order. Yeah. And it's like, but that's. Well, so that, you know, I, I um, talk to people about how hard things are. And then I realize that they're saying if you, but if you can do it, then what's the problem? And then I'm like, you have no idea. So what you just explained is like a great example of glimpse of what what the hell that that is like because it's so it's so weird and then the other thing is that um you still are who you were in that sense of your standards and your yeah. needs yeah yeah, yeah. And that part of you is the standards yeah. is, is i've had to accept so low standards compared to what is my nature yeah um yeah. and people don't get that how upsetting that can be just <sighs> yeah. on an emotional level yeah. 
you know, after my accident, the best thing I could tell people is that I get irritated. And the fact that I, the fact, you know, that's all I could, you know, I, the first thing that I could grasp about myself, mm-hmm. I could easily get irritated. Now, the fact that I worked my, all my adolescence not to have stress, much less being irritated, yeah. um, to handle situations, I, that, you know, that perplexed me on what, what's going on that's making me irritated. And so that started me questioning, okay. you know, and, and, and I find that, um, when I was when I went back to school, I, I had you know I was assigned a tutor because, you know I went through school, but I, I needed to tell people I had a brain injury because I needed accommodations. Right. And the gave me a tutor, and it turned out the tutor was only going to ask me the questions at the end of the chapter, as if I read the chapter. So I thought, okay, they're not giving me any strategies. Yeah. They're just doing what I yeah. need to do. So so I learned that you know. What did, what did I learn? I can't remember what I was talking about. <laughs> With this tutor and you developed a strategy to no, get through. No, before that, oh. um, why, ah. I got, why I went on to that subject. Uh, huh, we were talking I guess about, the yeah. challenge is, oh well. Hold on. Wait. Okay, we're back. We're back. Okay. We're, we're so, back. Okay. We had to rewind to, yeah. for, to remind me where <laughs> I was at. Uh, what I was talking about the tutors, like, so, you know, he was going to, just ask me the questions that were already written in the back, you know, at the end of the chapter. And so I learned the way to learn is to keep questioning as I'm reading. Does this make sense with what I have in my brain already? It, mm. You know, where is this in my brain? How can I prompt it? Does that make sense? So I constantly am checking. Does that make sense with what I've observed about myself? And so... So I, when you ask that question, do you then double check the answer? No, no, um, not necessarily. But you f- have I, a feeling that you know that. I, I, what I do is I, I say to myself, well, this author of this material is missing something here. Oh. I keep reading, and then the information that I was questioning was not there. Some most of the time came later in that, as I read. Okay. Then okay. that felt that filled in the missing pieces that I was questioning was not there. Okay. Um, so that's how, you know, that really helped me understand that one of the ways the mind works is that you can develop a passion for something by doing, by questioning and, and really putting all your efforts and energy into that area of that topic area. Hmm. Um, like you're feeding your brain the information and, and, and the more you grapple with it, the more you question, the more you, you try to think about it. That's what learning is. Um, and so I could learn. Um, and so you, so then you, but did, I had so to do, but, but, but I had to yeah. do certain things yeah. in order to learn, you know, in order to do this school, um, because information has gone instantly from my, from my brain. Yeah. When, a, when a professor's lecturing, taking notes was impossible. Okay. 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 So, because it, the, when I went to write down the information, it would be gone already. Right. Um, right, so right. I recorded everything and then I would transcribe it. And I found at the time I was tra- transcribing syllables, not words. Mm. So I was, I, w- I was in a frame of mind for my, I started working when I was 12 as secretary. So I learned how to type at a young age and my fingers would type and I wasn't recognizing anything as words or understanding the language. Wow. I was just, so I would constantly having to rewind next syllable, next syllable. Yeah. So once I transcribed it, then I can go through read it slow it would take long hours to read and it's like i for every five minutes i would read or write 
I'd have to sleep 20 minutes. Wow. Yeah. Um, so, but back up, the, the, the transcribing the syllables, was that an autopilot type event? Oh, sort of. I mean, I would recognize whenever I make a mistake before mm -hmm. I made the mistake, but I couldn't correct the mistake. Okay. So it's like I went to go type a T and my finger went to the R and I knew my the finger going to the R was being triggered uh -huh. rather than the T, uh -huh. but I couldn't stop it. I had to do R and then backspace and then do T. Okay. You know, okay. so like, you know. The, the, but there I wasn't sta a I started, comprehension. Well, the, I started piano when I was three years old. Yeah. So there's there was, cer there was certain kind of... Um, ability in my fingers to work in a way um and but and so there was a, a little bit of a kind of an autopilot thing mm -hmm. but but um but i wasn't connected to other areas in my brain that's what i was trying to explain er yeah. earlier and that's what when i'm trying I to get when at, i focus yeah. my brain on a certain aspect of of abilities um i can't do other things like i you know whenever i send emails out how a lot of them is <laughs> a lot of mistakes, right? Um, I hate uh, spell check. I should turn it off, but I don't um, because they keep changing my words. Right. And the words I have are correct, but but the, the spell check's not recognized. So it'll change it to something completely different. Um, and then I also leave out the word not. And so not changes things the opposite way. So yeah, yeah. so I'll say I, I was able to do this when I was trying to write I was not able to do this uh -huh. and so I send the email out because I'm typing without reading because that's what I that's how I do things right. then I after sending it I can read and then realize oh this doesn't make sense so that that's that's as per the school example where you had to transcribe it and then reread it and then the comprehension or then it's in your head more than it's well I still have to um prompt myself uh -huh. to have the information and I really when I was taking exams like I, I would know where it was on the page that I wrote that yeah. so it's like there was a geographical sense of where the answer was but I couldn't get to the actually word so I actually could see the word but I can't understand you know I, I can see the so writing how but did it was, you understand and so it, look, sometimes you know because I got extra time for my test yeah. you know eventually maybe the word will or one word will come, and then I was able to get to another word that answer the question. Um, when I at the time that I was in school, yeah. you know, I, I when I went back to school, I still you know struggled with reading and writing, um, and again, I lost. Well, that's where I was at. The uh, reading and writing, because my question of when does the quote unquote comprehension or understanding or having the information finally in your head. Oh. take place but maybe it it doesn't or it's a different form of that well um my graduate school uh faculty advisor says that i have the ability to integrate things really well okay and that's because i when i'm doing when i'm learning something i keep questioning does that make sense with what i already know right. what i've observed about myself because this whole quest of going back to school was to save myself to try to understand what's going on how I can improve on what I found works and how, yeah, yeah. um, and so my, you know, integration was really important. I can't get to, the reason why I don't want to talk about the physiology and all that science is because I have to go back and re, re, re 
educate myself in order to have the words and, right, the, and the concepts. And the, yeah. So it's it's in there. The understanding is in there, but not the ability, not the access enough to use it. Okay. Um, okay. So I always constantly have to relearn. Right. So when I'm doing knitting, if I put that down and um, decide to iron, well, iron my clothes or cook. Like right now, it's been five years since I've been able to really cook. Mm -hmm. I I use a microwave. You know, mm -hmm. I use TV dinners. Uh, fortunately, Amazon's had fifty percent off, so I could <laughs> <laughs> make use of my uh, food stamps right, right. efficiently by getting these TV dinners. So, um, the I know how to cook, but I can't cook. Right. So the the comprehension of cooking. Is somewhere there, but I can't get to it. Okay, okay. So, so it's the same as any other topic. Then, so we're talking about something that um, one of the jobs that I I did was uh, being a uh, working like from four to noon at a coffee shop. Uh -huh. um, they had um, sweets and treats. Um, so I would I would I would put the frozen items into the um, proofing oven. And then put the proof uh, items into the oven, and then take them out on time. And there was a little Italian woman that lived next door that volunteered there, and so she was constantly helping me. Mm -hmm. um, and she did it for free for you know leftover bread. Uh, I then started using the leftover bread to make um, um, bread pudding, and then um, also they started making pizzas, and I started coming up with designs for, you know, uh, recipes for pizza. Um, they decided that I was so good, they wanted, they offered me a lifetime contract. They wanted me to work in a kit, you know, in their, in their new restaurant in San Francisco that was yeah, going to yeah. have windows on the chefs. And they thought I would be really good in there. And I'm like, but I wasn't trained as a chef. And so, you know, so I got these abilities to do these things, but then I couldn't brush my teeth at night. Right. And the, and what that woman was helping you with, she was, getting a lot of the basic no, she was she was prompting me um oh. and you know so i could do higher level okay, because i was okay. being prompted to, to okay, being okay. in that area of my brain yeah um and having money consistently there to kind of um uh we didn't talk much because she was she spoke <laughs> italian so you know, so, so yeah so i didn't have you know because uh, i still struggle uh. with words so um i had to decline that i didn't want to work in a in a restaurant anyhow but but the fact that i have you know, a level of cooking ability yeah. that they wanted to hire me for 20, you know, life contract, is, they said, was 25 years. Yeah. Um, here I was in my, you know, 20s. And, and so for them to make that great leap it, and not to cook for five years yeah. because I can't get to that information because I'm trying to get my home together, doing these things that I need to do, to, you know, that my home needs. Um, so when we talk about comprehension, when people only see me, you know, giving them a gift of, of, of a, a crocheted or, or knitted, you know, toy or hat or something, they think that, you know, I have the full range of abilities that I've ever covered that I, you know, because I can fill out a form, which takes me months to do because it takes so many different steps of copying this, this document yeah, and then yeah. printing it or scanning it or whatever, and then putting it together and then fill out, you know, so even though I can do these things, the comprehension's there, but I can not access it, and I have to relearn. Right. So I have to relearn how to cook now whenever I get ready to be able to do that.
And whenever I moved to places, I had to start over again. It's like I had to connect one information, one set of set of information for a task to the next information of task. So I can set up more than one task, but it has to connect to the one before. Right. And if I don't do that, then it then I lose all the information. If it's a completely different topic area in my brain, then it wipes out everything else. And then I, when I go back to those things, I have to relearn it again. So I'm constantly relearning. Right. It's, it's not just re-accessing the information. Right. It's not just, it's really relearning. And that's why it takes me so many times to do something because I'll make mistakes, realize, oh, these uh, certain steps weren't there. Try to figure out what step I missed out on. Try to redo it. Try to redo it. You know, realize where I made the mistake. So that's how I work. That's that's my life. And so then, in the example with the crocheting an animal, and you're following uh, yeah. step by step, you end up having to revisit it, having to redo it, having to re better. Eventually, you get to one that that, that I I've, yeah. I've done it well enough to give yeah. to, to then, somebody. Like, right? Great, you made a yeah. Cur- yeah. Um, you know, there's still uh, maybe mistakes, and I'll just give up on it. And yeah. like when you talk about your standards, you know. I'll just give up on it, you know, and, and say, okay, that's the best I could do for now. And yeah. I just accept it. Um, so yeah, patience, acceptance, all these things. Um, you know, going back to the first, uh, neuropsychologist who diagnosed me in 1986, 87, somewhere around there. Um, he said, what I need to do is accept my, my, you know, brain injury. Yeah. And at that time I thought, no, acceptance is, uh, is giving up. You know, I, mm. I wanted my brain, you know, my brain kept trying to work the same way it used to. I, I thought that was being complacent to accept. Um, I also, you know, because I wasn't going to let this get in the way of my life, yeah. I didn't want to do things differently, mostly because my brain kept trying to do things the same way I used to. Sure. But sure. then there would be nothing there. It kept trying to do it, but then it, it wasn't able to. Right. And, you know, my brain still knows how to do things well. I can tell an able-bodied person how to do something and they could do and get them to do it really well. I know that I I can even tell, I can tell them the steps, but then I'm not able to do the steps myself. Okay. Um, another thing that I observed, um, especially on what I talked about every time I went to sleep, I would forget everything. So one time I, there was a situation where I had to be out of town. Mm -hmm. So the, the professor allowed me to take the exam the next day. Now, this was an exam. It was open book, but I didn't have exam, a test for it or anything. Um, or maybe it wasn't open book. But the point is that I read through the night and didn't let myself fall asleep because so, I didn't, I couldn't. Because wow. I knew if I fell asleep, I would forget. Yeah. I went and I took the exam in his office. Uh-huh. So there was no distractions. It was quiet. I had all the time I needed. And I ended up getting a B where the average on the test was a D. And so they thought I was really smart. So when I went to go quit school and not graduate, they didn't understand it. They're like, you're one of the smartest people in our, in our (laughs) program. And I couldn't tell them because I had to hide that I had these difficulties. Because if anybody knew I had these difficulties, whenever I did go and somebody did believe I had these difficulties, they would instantly say, well, you have to go back and live with your family. And I couldn't do that. Right. Right. My family wasn't, you know, safe for me. And, and um, much less my brothers and sisters that I worried about. So, oh, um, yeah, so I, I ended up moving to California to be as far away as I could from my family because they did some things when I was trying to recuperate myself. I, 
went into I put because I was copying everybody and yeah. because it wasn't my personality, I wanted to get my personality back. I spent nine months in in a cabin in the woods. Okay. So I isolated myself from everybody. So I thought there's nobody to copy. Yeah. Then, you know, I've got to find a way. Um, and you know, that's when I really learned about not being able to walk and and uh, and uh, I ran out of food and my family refused to get food for me. So my dad wanted to starve me out of the out of the cabin because. He didn't. He was. He said years later he was in denial, and he wanted me to work for him again. And so he was, you know, keeping my brothers and sisters from me, and figured if I starved out of the cabin, then I would have to come out and and start working for him again. Right, right. You know, so he was obsessed with me a bit, and obsessed with his connection to me before the accident. Right. Um. Because I worked for him since I was twelve, and um, he would dictate to me, and you know, and. Um, he was probably I very proud of you. And I understood. Probably, yeah. I understood. You know the the field that he was in. You yeah. know, and and so uh, he was a he was Bulgarian, so English wasn't his first language, and so he really depended on me in some ways, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, as did the other people in my family. But it, it's a complicated story that yeah, doesn't yeah. need to be talked about, actually. Right, <laughs> but, 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 but but needless to say, it's a family dynamic that. I've spoken to many people where once the brain injury happens, they can't accept who the person is, what their shortcomings are, what their problems are. And then it's like this huge letdown of no support. And when yeah. we don't have the words, the language to communicate, I yeah. mean, we're both intelligent people who've studied. I've been thinking about this shit for years. To try to find the words <laughs> exactly. to, to, that somebody can comprehend exactly. the extent yes. of the severity of yes. our difficulties. Yes. And that I mean, they took are a long severe time. difficulties yes. that nobody would, in their right mind, think of trying to live independently with, much less, you know, raise a family like you are or, you know, other things. And the, we really, every person with a brain injury like ours are extraordinary people to survive every day. It's extremely And I'm not saying that as, you know, hyperbole. It is, every time I walked out the door, I had to say to myself, if I die today, I'm okay with it. Because that was the only way that a reasonable person would leave their home with the struggles that I had in trying to get back, yeah. uh, being lost, not able to walk, um, not able to do the most basic of human abilities. And then, you know, if I went to a doctor, they would think it's all psychological. Yeah, it's yeah. Not, and I know it's not, even right. though I was okay with them saying it was because of my yeah. own denial needs. Um, I couldn't talk to another brain injured person for about almost 18 years. I actually haven't made peace with what that denial was all about. But I'm starting to get into it, and it sounds, it definitely has elements so similar to what you're describing. Because I just couldn't, I was in it every goddamn moment. So it's right. not like I'm unaware that I have a brain injury. But a brain injury doesn't. And just I have a play fade in my head. Yeah, yeah. But but it was um an inability to admit it, an inability to. There's almost like a secret denial and a keeping it in the back of my mind, and then trying to do everything to be normal, and a lot of pretending that I was normal until the things. Um, got better, got manageable, and a lot, a lot came back. My, I, I think that the parts of our recovery, which I call recovery, and we've discussed, could be a restoration of cognition, a restoration of. Fluid. But it's, but for me, it's a temporary. 
because once I it's move not, on to another yeah, no. another area of my brain, then it's gone again. But so I don't I don't have that problem. Although in the first two years but, I was close to that, and in that sense, but your life has been consistent. You've had consistent family. Oh yeah, yeah immersion. Yeah, yeah. You've 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 had, you've haven't you lived? Yeah. You've, you've lived in areas for long periods of time. You didn't move as many times as I had to, um, and you know, so that consistency, um, and plus you had rehab, so you had you had a certain structure that you've you've been able to develop. Now you probably can't do all the things that I can do though, because maybe you haven't concentrated, you know how to concentrate. But for me, it's it's me focusing that. Part of that very small area of my brain that I need to use, even though it takes away everything else in my abilities, you know, it allows me to do enormous amount of functions. Of that thing that has been fun. And I'm, I've learned not to be afraid yeah. of losing the abilities to do other things. Well, that, um, that problem reminds me of the problems that I had during the first, let's say, four or five years of my brain injury and the supports that I had allowed me to not do anything else but drill those things over and over and over mm. until the nature of the capacity and and I'm, I'm extrapolating my experiences onto your experiences although they're okay. different but the the needing to focus on this thing and everything else going away that nature began to change and then it became less like that and more like the normal in ways that i can't really describe but like the um and you were allowed that opportunity because you had somebody, you know, yeah, feeding yeah. you uh, and, and I, I, directing yeah. you and and answering your questions or mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. interacting with no, you I, in, I did, I did in a way that's familiar to you from before your injury. I did not have as much other people helping me, but I had other people fully helping me. And college is paid for, and you can do what you want. But you were in an and environment that, where yeah. you didn't have to shop for your food cook it and once i moved it. out I, I was but but that on became, your own without anybody else around yeah but that became the thing that i drilled and that became the thing that i repeated but and you weren't I, trying to work eight hours a day or no i was just doing school and at that point i was starting with the classes that i had already aced and done really well in yeah and in that point i was number one recognizing that i don't have what i thought i had in me so i have to rebuild it and yeah. so there's Many years where I was in the feeling of rebuilding it, and those changes are about as weird as the injury itself because the way things come back comes back in these weird layers and it restores over time. But um, I fully recognize, and it's been very hard for me to find someone to talk to who I had support for my life and my necessities so that I could focus 100% on my brain injury. Yeah. And if you don't have that support, yeah. then the way the situation is is so... PTSD inducing and stressful and just traumatic and difficult in a crazy way. So I, I recognize that I was not in that situation. And also, that's the thing that needs to be eradicated. What you went through needs yeah. to be, it's, it's an example. It, it was absolutely terrifying. Yeah. yeah. Especially to go to doctors and I'm even denying I have a brain injury. And I, yeah. <laughs> it blows my mind, but right. um, they couldn't see it. Uh, when, when, I would say this, that if I only focused on cooking and, and you know, cleaning and that sort of thing and didn't have any other aspects of my, my life, mm -hmm. I would still be able to do those things because that's all, you know, that, that would be the information I'd be tapping right, into right, consistently. Right. It's because I wanted to not let it interfere with my life and 
be able to do everything I could before and more that I got into this situation of, of experiencing where concentrating on one area that's taking everything I've got mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and me not being able to access other areas. Right, right, right. And so I, you know, I've accepted that now, but it's frustrating because I don't like living the life that I have to, you know, but I enjoy doing the medication. I enjoy doing these other things. Um, and even though I've got medication and, and nutrient supplements that provide a sense where I don't feel like gravity's 3,000 times stronger and that I don't have arthritis in every cell in my body and, and those ripping head brain aches yeah. um, are, are no longer there as long as I take the medication. When I don't, you know, and also improves my reading ability and, and communication. Mm-hmm. I have the words where we can converse. Something like this, I wouldn't be able to do more than 20 minutes and I'd get out of the car and you wouldn't see me be able to walk. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, it would, it would just fatigue me. I, I would watch my brain go back to the first time I did something. Mm-hmm. That would be three or four years old sometimes. Mm. I've had memories of the first time I did something and I would relearn from my brain memory of that. So, so you could remember that and then you, Enough to to yeah. to get the essence of what it is to do. Yeah. And so um, I'm not talking about brushing my teeth or anything like that. I but the brushing teeth problem was because of fatigue, because I could no longer interact with the environment. I you know, and and um, moving my body was so nearly impossible. Interesting. At, at the For end me of the day. brushing teeth was the steps of what I'm trying to do here and the brushing teeth getting dressed, the basic things, buying food, bringing it back in my house, eating, th- those became the examples that were enough repetition happened. Like, okay, now I need to extrapolate that. Did you to go to the same to place to buy things? Um, I had, right, so there was the first two years I was back at home. And then after that, when I went to, first I was in San Diego and then I was in Orange County, each city that I lived in was a, the sense of direction, the inability to do things, the problems, you know, I, now I'm, I'm in Seattle. It's five or six cities later. All those problems are less, but they were still there, and it was really crazy making. And and I think because I was um physically in good shape and able, I was young, I was in good shape, I was able to drag myself. I would just be lost in the car for hours, and then I would mm-hmm. be. You build the basic functions, and then I started. I was also trying to do that to regain academics, regain learning, regain cognition. But yeah, I didn't have the problems you had. I had different problems. I yeah. remember, um, so this this program that this uh, social worker from Britain um, that I mentioned a long time uh, mm-hmm. earlier in our conversation, a program for people with brain injury, and um, they used teachers from other disabilities. You know, like um, so one of the things they they asked the question of how to make a cheese sandwich. My diet mostly when I was in the woods was cheese sandwiches. Mm-hmm. Um, they were pretty easy to make, you know, just, and they were pretty much Velveeta and white bread. It was really <laughs> pretty bad. Um, and that probably what started me on understanding nutrition and how it works. So I spent like every day practically for nine months making cheese sandwiches. So when they asked, you know, how do you make a cheese sandwich? Yeah. I was sitting there. I had no idea. Somebody said yeah. bread. And then I could picture bread and said, oh, yeah. Yeah. And still couldn't get the idea that cheese was supposed to be there. And then we were supposed to go home and do it, make a cheese sandwich. Now that we all 
learned what it takes to make a cheese sandwich. Yeah. I went to the store. When I went to the store, the lights, the colors, the object, I couldn't find or see anything, understand anything that I was there. Mm-hmm. Um, so to retrieve, to try to buy those items, it took me hours, and then I, then I couldn't walk again, couldn't get home. So, you know, it. this was like now, what, seven years after my injury. And this okay. is, you know, I'm working a job and getting paid, and and I'm not able to brush my teeth in the evenings and get undressed and go to bed, you know. So I, I would listen to my boyfriend's heartbeat in order to try to match it, and, and then I would fall asleep. So it was, it was really... <laughs> if, you know, honestly, it was probably a very scary time. Yeah, yeah. Of but course. but you know, I was I was trying. I had to survive. I had to do whatever it took. And then let me ask you, if you remember when you go back to the class and you try to explain to them why you couldn't make the cheese sandwich. The I wouldn't. I wouldn't admit to that. You wouldn't admit to it. Okay. No. I don't know what those other psychological or um, well, you know, thinking problems get, are, but they're so, not the same as this kind of problem because. That like you, you're an expert in making cheese sandwiches, <laughs> and yet you can't make a cheese sandwich when it's like all these other. I, I could, know, I couldn't yeah. articulate. Yeah. You know what? What goes into a cheese sandwich when cheese obviously goes into <laughs> a cheese sandwich, right? Um, so whenever somebody would say it, then there would be this light bulb moment. Like I could picture it. Oh yeah, cheese. Yeah. You know. So it was like it was astounding to me to be prompted of information, and um, it. I would get into fights with these teachers a lot because they couldn't comprehend what we really needed help with. Yeah, that's you what know? I'm trying to Okay, yeah, now yeah. now I can make a cheese sandwich for that moment. Right. But then it would be gone again. Right. Right? And, 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 they, and they, I would have to go yeah. through relearning how to make a cheese sandwich. The next, you know, Maybe it would be more familiar, the words, when they say bread and che- cheese. Um, and... And that was as simple as our cheese sandwiches went. You know, they didn't sure. go into... He, you know, grilling it and buttering it or anything <laughs> like that. Um, it was just those two items. So, um, you know, so it, it really was quite profound to me how bad I was off. Right. Um, that part of that program also, they, they were just starting to use computer games. Okay. This was late 1980s. It was, you know, very early with the personal computer, you know, this is San Francisco. So this um, one, she probably was a speech therapist. It was in the evening and you know, I had to move this guy through these doors and she looked at me and she said, I can see you want to do it and you can't move your hand, can you? Mm-hmm. First time somebody saw me have difficulty Wow. Yeah. that I let, you know, yeah. and I never went back because I was terrified that somebody oh, now yeah. saw me. Yeah. Somebody now knew. Um, even though I've been diagnosed now with the brain injury, still he wasn't offering me anything, but you know, I, my other patients have say the same things. You know, they have the same difficulties. That that would be his contribution to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would spend, and I, every time I tried to articulate what was going on or anything to him, tears would flood down my face. Now, I wasn't sad. I wasn't, you know, it was just the effort to make words, to try to communicate, and for me to say out loud what was I having difficulty with was so, like, wrenching and myself, the tears would just be flooding down my face. Yeah, yeah. And I wasn't depressed or anything. It's just the, the, that effort and the realization. I wasn't even realizing it. It was just 
there was somewhere in there that was, you know, making it real out loud. Um, and, 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 and that is an important distinction because it is an emotional reaction, yet, I don't know what the right word is, but you're, you're separate from it or in this whole other... Yeah. I look at it as like, I can't even explain it, so I've tried to use new words to explain it, but these, okay. all these other spinning narratives and spinning dialogues and spinning observation and then fixing but not, things. But not and, at the time I'm speaking, because right, I, right. I can only do one thing at a time. Yes, of course, yes, right? yes, yes. yes. Um, but those th other things come online inside of us. And they're then, react there's something reacting in there yeah. without, without, without us trying to respond to it or able to respond to it. Um, but I wasn't, you know, and... I took a psychological test with him and it turned out that I had high schizophrenia and high um, uh, depression. Wow. And he goes, one thing that surprises me is depression. He goes, I didn't think you were depressed. And I'm like, I'm not. Yeah. Um, the second thing was, he goes, schizophrenia comes high on people with brain injury because of their experiences, because of what they experience. Now, when I was taking the test, I remember thinking to myself, oh, somebody now gets what I'm going to experience. It talked about, you know, you had to answer yes or no, whether you saw things that, that um, weren't really there. Now, with my fatigue, I would, my, I, I would get these speckles where it was like kind of these speckling and it, vision, like would get like these Is it dark a shimmering spots. or is it yeah. a... Sh yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, you know, I put yes, you know, because... Yeah. Uh, and, but that's a that's a criteria for schizophrenia but it's a whole different kind of what vision thing it's not like not seeing something that's not real or what's not there it's 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 something like again physiological that happens um part of the fatigue and then there was, i would, I would also, say that it's there the was, fatigue there yeah. was also then the answer about do you have difficulty getting up in the morning or out of bed or you know do you sleep long mm -hmm. well i was sleeping i i required in order to recover 15 to 20 hours wow. of sleep. Yeah. Um, now, that wouldn't happen necessarily at once. I would have like a four-hour nap. Accumulation through the day, you know, when I was in school, it was all only school because that was all I could manage um, because of the rest that I, the sleep that I needed. Um, so, yeah, so you check, yes, for, yeah, I sleep a lot. Um, <laughs> difficult, you know, but yeah. that's for depression. So, yeah. so these psychological tests are like, you know, are not, made with brain injury in mind and i they're think that is so important yeah. to educate um now he was educated enough to realize that there's experiences that we have that show up as positive on a schizophrenic test without being schizophrenic right um but talk to any psychiatrist these days and they don't get it back then uh, like the doctors yeah. knew enough to say we don't know enough to know what's going oh, on oh interesting distinction you know? yeah but yeah, now yeah. With all these, you know, tests and things, they're taught, I think, to, like, just minimize it for patients so they're not stuck on right. having these difficulties. And because of this, there's this one study that says that people who don't have support do better. And I disagree with that no, conclusion. yeah, that would not because, be true for brain injury. <laughs> well, no, that, but, that's what they, but that's what a speech therapist of just a few years ago said to me. Wow. Um, and she said because they get so dependent on the people that are around that they don't try hard enough. Whoa. And yeah, so that is the that is their concept these days. Yeah. So give the person with brain injury minimum support minimum to support make to make them do themselves. And the problem yeah. that I have with that is that they the people who are doing better hide it better 
appear to be doing it better yeah. because they're so afraid for somebody knowing and are, are forced to hide it for so long that they don't make it appear that they have difficulties. Maybe that person with support isn't put in a terrifying situation like I've been in to be forced to do things, but I'm just as disabled as that person who is dependent on the person, and they at least aren't having PTSD and terrified. Right. They didn't have to go through what I lived to survive. I think of all those supports as a thing that would be absolutely necessary for the work to do the recovery to even take place. And with very um, few rehab places, I think provide I, that. I don't believe they have. Well, because they don't I think have there's that a place in, in Colorado, mind. They yeah, said, I, th I don't think they different. have this um, re building and supporting enough to let the other things improve. One, because they don't have the awareness of the problems as we are experiencing it. That's why I, um, I have an issue with the term symptoms because with brain injury specifically, the symptoms are only like these little peaks of these icebergs where it's like, I know what's going on here. Yeah. You're only seeing this piece. We're yeah, trying yeah. to talk about this little piece. You have no idea what I'm doing with it. Otherwise, um, and Nancy, That's true. Nancy That's, and I had yeah. a good discussion one time, not on the record, but she said, so how we got into this term of the support is to prevent the invisible quicksand that is sucking you down from taking over. And she's also been a person that's been on her own. Yeah. And she kind of defined it for me as I was like categorizing it. But it's like this. Well, the quicksand is every moment. Yeah. Think of how many moments you have yeah. in a day. That's a moment, you know, like moment. The moment, moment by moment, moment. moment. I mean, that's right. what we're dealing with. Yeah. We're dealing with. I mean, comp try to comprehend that, yeah. okay? Yeah. Um, if that's too emotional for you to comprehend, we're living it, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah. No other. Uh, maybe we should stop because this is good, and we can listen okay. and think about the next one. Also, I don't want. Well, yeah, we we, we, we have two hours we here. Talk wow. so yeah. easily. <laughs> Okay. Yes. Okay. Uh, just before you, uh, and I said, you know, how there were um, people I met that mostly had different kinds of brain injury other than mm -hmm. the type of brain injury that I had. The few that I did meet that had, um, they were, they had deficits that were far greater, I guess, maybe, perhaps, um, even though mine was graded as moderate to severe. I really didn't meet people that had similar uh, abilities of living. Mm -hmm. um, as I did with the type of brain injury that I did until right. the, I went to this place called Brainworks that no longer exists okay. um, in Seattle, Shoreline area that um, had a brain injury program. And they did include people with strokes and things like that. But I met a few people and it was the first time. And now this was um, 35 years past my injury. Okay. That, and I had you know been a part of that support group in San Francisco, you know, been a part of other, you know, things, and I didn't meet somebody, uh, a few people that were with the severe, you know, the difficulties I had, but also um, with the ability to communicate. Yeah. And they had been diagnosed, you know, having severe brain injury, and you know, mine was moderate to severe, supposedly. Um, I would say severe if if you go back and you know my history of what I actually have been dealing with, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but. Um, but that doesn't matter to me what they graded as. What matters to me is what is out there for us to live the best life we can. Right. And finding people that for the first time it's like, okay, this is it's not identical, but it's the same but different kind of Well, because we're all nature. different. Yeah. We're all different people. It's, sure. And our challenges, there is a similarity. 
there are, are similarities, you know, to a lot of what we deal with. Um, and for me, the similarities maybe vary through the day. I may be the most severe by the end of the day, mm -hmm. where it may yeah. be moderate when I get up. Yeah, but that progression is actually very similar to my experiences. Yeah. And then it became end any effort before I hit that point where the exhaustion and I called it a mental knockout, but it your stalagmite or stalactite and I example. Push, I push past that. I know, I know, because you have to. Yeah. And so I. And that's or, why right. I then lose the ability to walk and, and, and talk and, and yeah, that sort and, of thing. And, that, and when I did have to push it because I was lost and still out there, or had something happen or drive on the wrong side of the road, and I'm like, holy yeah, shit. Yeah. So when I, when I, when I had some, some experiences like that, and then I could see that if this, if I don't have what else I have, this is going to go into a whole nother mm -hmm. can of work. So then I, I reset because I have all those supports. But 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 in that sense, I, I understand how bad it can get and how. Um, and I would I was pushing myself every day yeah, past that yeah. point. And so, so, and so I, yeah. I understand. That's what I was saying earlier. That I think a lot of people don't experience what I've had because they've right. had you know they haven't had the situation to push themselves beyond that. And I don't suggest anybody push themselves. Beyond no, no. That. And, and, and obviously you don't because want that for terrifying. people. Because it's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. I had, I have another friend that, you know, she uses a walk or whatever, but when I told her about, you know, what it gets, she goes, Oh, I learned a long time ago, you know, early after my injury to go to sleep before that ever yeah. happens. When I, when I start to feel, you know, a little bit disconnected, I go to sleep. Yeah. And I thought, Oh, that's nice. Must be nice. Must be nice. Yeah. <laughs> if yeah. I did that, yeah. And I only cooked and cleaned and, you know, then my life would look normal probably to other people. I, but I did learn to push past that sometimes. Now the medication helps so that my pushing past doesn't go to that severity if I don't, if I take the medication and, and eat well. It just, you know, it's, it, it's a matter of degrees, but also a matter of life situation. And doctors shouldn't be blaming the patient for their life situation, and that happened to me far too often. Okay, so some thoughts. In this episode, Moz talks about her specific brain injury problems and what happened as a result in specific ways. And it's the specific ways that I see as parallels that I want to label and describe here. Um, I have a list of topics. There is a moment-to-moment -moment nature of brain injury problems. There is, or she describes, an inner monologue slash narrator that she developed to deal with her internal problems. There is a lack of words for what has changed in your mind and in yourself that she describes very well. There is a nature to relearning, almost like a relearning curve that is totally different from learning. And there is a term that I have to call anti-support or anti-support that Moz, um, it's funny, I don't know if it's all in this recording, but it's definitely um, something that I've recorded, and sorry, discussed with her in detail and I hope that her and I do get into it in future recordings um she's she's describing something that I have observed and seen in many people 
Okay, so the moment-to-moment -moment nature of brain injury problems. Moz talks about this level of how reality shifts and everything is so different. And it's not just an issue of hypervigilance. It's an issue of observing the moment-to-momentness because you are stunned and it's, it's like everything is altered and the world manifests in this um, overwhelming difference, but it's really experienced at a moment-by-moment -moment level, like the pacing of every moment in time is happening in a way that is, I don't know, very, uh, very clear, very aware, very realized. So I think every brain injury, every brain injured person has this, although the specifics of what got injured in them, their core problems, for example, is drastically different. Also, there are many other differences. Another point, um, the lack of words for it. And so brain injury is not explainable, especially right when you enter into that, uh, that world. And over time, you build a grasp of your inner problems and changes, or one can build a grasp of them. That usually takes years and decades of time of dealing with the same internal problems over and over. But in general, there's a lack of words for it. And this whole podcast, every, everything I'm doing is an effort to attack that because I see that as the biggest problem with brain injury. I have a sequence of seminars that one that I did with the Brain Injury Alliance of Washington, where I lay out how I lay out how I think about these brain injury problems. And um, the links are below in the in the podcast link. And Moz and I have discussed this stuff, and we talk about it a lot. So I hope to bring the recordings up to speed in terms of getting eventually getting our interpretation and discussion and the ways we relate and disagree with these topics onto um, the record, because I think it's very important. And I think it's um, almost like an accurate way to talk about it. Another factor that Moss talks about is the inner monologue or narrator inside of her. And it's not just a narrator, because then you act upon this in your head. But Maz, she describes here the way she followed the memory issues, and um, memory issues just being one core problem that she describes, and the way she deals with it. And I cannot explain it, of course. That's why I recorded it. I'm not going to try to explain it. But in her inner life, in her inner awareness, she builds that narrator keeping track of this, and then she adjusts She adjusts her life efforts and her mental activity accordingly to compensate and deal with it. So I know that she's accurate of this inner assessment. I had to deal with the same thing, and um, it's very, very hard to explain. Okay, the next point is what I'm calling the learning, the relearning curve. That's relearning, as in regaining something once you've lost it because of brain injury. So I have no words for this relearning curve. <sighs> I wrote a bunch of stuff here, but ultimately, in this discussion, Maz and I get into that. One example being um, the tolerance you have to gain to do things that were once um, normal. And I'm not going to list everything here. I'll write, I'll put what I wrote in the uh, podcast notes. But um, yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff to that that I don't think the world is aware of, or people generally don't think about. The last point that I want to talk about is anti-support. And anti-support is not the lack of support. It's a 
against support. It's a turning against people. And um, Maz describes this, and it can be summed up as a product of misunderstanding that leads to abuse and trauma. And I think that there's a step there where you try to defend yourself or argue with the person analyzing and judging and who is supposed to help you. And the challenging of them and the argument that results leads to this anti-support. It's not an uncommon thing. Um, the misunderstanding of what the person is dealing with, plus the attempt to explain what you're dealing with, leads to this contradiction, interaction, and it's so hard to put it into words. And it's almost like we're aware enough of it. And I have I've seen this in so many brain injury support groups like the ones on Facebook, where this is just a general misunderstanding plus leading to worsening of your situation because of people not supporting you. Dr. Karen McAvoy spoke about this in one of um, the BBA seminars. I'm going to put that link below or in the notes. But it's about healthcare providers misunderstanding and misjudging a brain injured person. And she talks about it in, um, they end up dealing with you in a punitive way or at least developing a punitive attitude towards the brain injured person. So put that link. It's a YouTube talk. Um, okay, I think that that's all I wanted to share about the parallels from this discussion. In in the BBA talks, the Building Brain Awareness to Help to help Support Brain Injury Recovery seminar series that I've been doing, the points and talks I do in that are also about helping this, um, trying to explain the unexplainable parts of brain injury in a general way. All right, that's all my thoughts. Thank you.